Hello, hello, everyone. We have a special guest for you on this wonderful Wednesday. Um, we are going to be talking about something that needs to be talked about forever, um, allyship, and talking about um, Black Lives Matter and really just elevating, um, you know, voices and how to be um, a great support system for um, everything that's going on right now and, and really navigating through it in a mindful way. So, of course, who do we call on besides Sahar Martinez, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a doctoral candidate um, who practices here in Orange County. She's a dear friend of ours. Um, and, you know, she's personally gone through racism. Um, she's got two small children like us. And she's actually done a lot of work um, in studying for her doctoral, um, her, I, what, I was going to say MD. She's going to be a doctor. DR, but she's <laughs> getting that DR in front of her name, and it's huge. Um, but she's actually done a lot of diversity work in the work that she's yeah. been doing to prepare to earn that degree. So um, really incredible. And, um, you know, she's just, just even discovered a lot of things in the counseling and therapy world. Um, you know, she just posted recently that she had to have eight mentors and out of eight, um, two were diverse and, or all of them were white and two of them talked about diversity at the very end of like their teaching. So she's like, there is like big things have to change even there too. So we're bringing her on, um, to talk through navigating, um, you know, speaking to friends, um, starting conversations, teaching your children, elevating yourself, um, and really, um, just having a heartfelt conversation around this because it's obviously a, a very um, monumental part of our lives right now and, and, and how things are going um, in the world. And we just want to be supporting those conversations very deeply. Yeah. And Heather and I have, um, you know, personally just been like reflecting, listening, um, really like educating ourselves. Um, and Sahar has been a person for us of a source of um, education. We, she puts out amazing resources on Instagram and she's been really helpful in shaping um, how we're understanding the climate and how we can uh, make a difference in our families and especially um, speaking to our young children. Um, so we thought, you know, she is the perfect person to come on and have this conversation with. Um, we know you guys will get a ton out of listening to her. Um, she's been on the podcast before. We also did a in-person workshop with her pre-COVID, of course, um, but we've always had great feedback from our community about Sahar. So um, she's someone that we've been talking about uh, for weeks, and we're just so glad that she was able to come on and have this conversation with us. Um, so we hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. This is an open conversation as a starting point. Um, and we know that Sahara is open to talking to you guys too, so feel free to reach out to her. Um, but I think we would just love to jump into the episode. What do you say? Hello? Mm -hmm. <laughs> have fun. I have to end with something. What do you say? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Should we, without further ado? Yes, I was waiting for it. I'm like, where's the. Okay, you're like, and. Okay, here we go. Music's about to drop. Without further ado, folks, let's get this party started. Hey, I'm Heather, 
And I'm Brooke. We're two mompreneurs and friends for almost 10 years who've watched each other go from single AF to married with child. Soon to be children. Tune in every Wednesday to hear us and our lovely guests dish about motherhood, entrepreneurship, relationships, and tips on how we try to balance it all. We're ready to let it all hang out. Yes, all of it. The pretty, the messy, the too tight for our skinny jeans. If only for a good therapeutic laugh or cry. Hashtag real talk. Welcome to a space for soul. We're excited to share ours with you. Okay, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Um, we are so excited to have a repeat guest back on, Sahar, who is our marriage and family therapist friend, bestie, about to be a doctor in 2020. And um, 2021. Oh, yeah. Jeez, what year is it? We're already in 2020. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, I can't even handle what day it is. Clearly, what year. Welcome to COVID. Um, but hello, friends. Sahar, it's been so great to uh, be able to get you back on here. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here again. Yes. We <laughs> are obviously super. I'm like so giddy just knowing that you're here. So I'm going like, to be like awkwardly laughing through this. Um, but I know we have some new listeners since the last time you were on. So before we dive into um, the heart of today's combo, just want to have you share a little bit about yourself so everyone can get familiar. Sure. I'm Sahar Martinez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a professor of cultural diversity. I'm a doctoral candidate. Uh, I'm a mom of two, and I'm really happy to be here. Woo, girl! <laughs> You've got her elevator pitch down. <laughs> like, yeah, so acing mom life, super. Oh, I, I never said acing. I just said I am. You are. It's fine. You are. I believe it. And by the way, boom, 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 and boom. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that's not everything that we're going to talk about in this podcast, you like basically we're going to be talk. We're going to be talking about therapy diversity, mom life, like we're going to get into all that and you're an expert, so we can't wait to hear from you. <laughs> Yay. Um, so yeah, like I could say one more time, we're so excited to have you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have been talking about this episode for a while now. Um, Heather and I have um, made a conscious decision on Soul Space to really sit back, listen, learn, and, um, you know, really follow where we're being called to uh, make a difference and elevate voices that matter. And um, we think this is so important to have these conversations together as moms, mm -hmm. um, not only for us to support groups of each other, but also for our kids. And like, what is the best way to navigate racism? How do we raise our kids in an anti-racist house? And um, there's been so much new stuff exposed to us over these past few weeks, and um, we really thought it was important to bring you on because you're doing such amazing stuff with your platform, um, and we've learned a lot from what you're sharing, and so we would like to extend that to our audience as well. Um, so, you know, we, we are, um, for those of you who can't see us, can just hear us. Heather and I are both um, white women, and we have grown up in mostly white communities, and um, we are educating ourselves on um, different ways to um, make a difference and be part of the conversation and really help um, each other out. So we, you know, do know friends that have, um, you know, friends of color who have been victims or experienced hate. Um, you know, sometimes we've been in areas where we've seen people, you know, conversations happen and um, standing up for each other and making sure that those conversations aren't happening, happening. but it's always, um, you know, it's never 
easy to know like what's the right thing to say. And I think that's something we would love to have you talk a little bit. Not that you have the magic, this is what you should say. Um, but you know, you yourself have been through um, being a victim of um, ra racism or hate or you know anything um, that has affected you because of your background. So we'd love to like just hear you talk to us about um, kind of your experience and um, what, what would be something you could tell us to help you know support you and other women. Sure. Well, I just want to start off by saying I appreciate you guys um, taking the, the opportunity to learn and to figure out the ways that you can kind of embrace anti-racism into your own lives. I think it's a really important piece of this. So I, I want to extend that gratitude. Um, I mean, racism is not a new topic, right? Like, and I think that for a lot of, like, I grew up in Irvine, California. And for people who aren't familiar, I live in Orange County. I grew up here. I moved back here once I had kids. It is, it's diverse in the sense that there are a lot of immigrant populations here, but it's still like a, an affluent city in Orange County. And so there has to be an acknowledgement of, I think starting out like the communities that we're living in and then how we can invite spaces of diversity into there. Even growing up in Irvine, even growing up privileged, like after 9-11 happened, my family ex experienced a lot of racism and discrimination. My parents' house got vandalized, you know, these things happened. Um, and so I think that it's important to identify that these things ha happened and they are still happening and the ways that we can invite the conversation of diversity and anti-racism into our day-to-day -day lives in a way that becomes like authentic to authentic and normalized. Does that make sense? Like, I think right now it's a really polarizing conversation because I know even for myself, when conversations of diversity come up to talk to my kids about, there's a part of me that's like, Ooh, like this feels uncomfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, my, I have a three-year-old three and a five-year-old son. My husband is white, white passing. Um, we have a, a Latino last name. My last name is Martinez, and I'm Middle Eastern. My parents are immigrants from Iran. And so there is just inherently diversity in our experience because my kids are growing up multilingual and multi-ethnic. Uh, my brother-in-law is Black, so they have cousins that are Black. And so there is that, but there is also in, in the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement recently, there has been more identification, even for me, who has very much been like, I'm diverse, I'm a professor of diversity. And I, you know, you know, I'm whatever, quote unquote, woke and all this stuff. There's a lot of work that even I have to do. And so it's, I'll go back to the story. My son is three. And about a few months ago, we were driving to go visit my dad at his office. And he looked out the window in the car and he's like mama who's that black man and he pointed to like the street corner and immediately i felt my whole body just go oh oh no right and i looked over and there was a guy sitting there in a black t-shirt it was a, a white or latino man sitting there in a black t-shirt and i was like oh that guy like i don't know who that guy is and i had to sit back later that night and be like why did i react in that way like why was him just identifying someone possibly or potentially by the color of their skin why was that so, it brought up shame for me. And it really becomes about looking at like, how have I been informed to address things like race and racism in my life? And how am I now passing that on to my kid? There isn't any shame in saying that person is black, that person is white, that person is tan. Like there's no shame in that, right? Mm -hmm. Until we instill the shame in it in our kids. So, and I think that that's like an important thing when we talk about parenting and race is that to bring about inclusivity and to bring about diversity, like we first have to look at our own stuff and what comes up for us as we start to look at those spaces, right? So I feel like it's a very long-winded answer that I gave to your question. 
And back uh, to how do we help? No, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, but honestly, like there, there's so much to unpack in this and there's so much like you, I love how you even phrased it, like the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, where some people are like, oh, this is a brand new movement. This mm -hmm. is finally happening. And it's like, no, this has been going on for centuries. And yeah. like, it, it's coming back to the forefront mm -hmm. in a different way now to be dealt with again. And I totally feel you on like, calling someone a black person and calling them by the, the way of their skin. Like I even hesitate to say that loud, out loud now, because it's like, you don't, it's like when you're trying to be inclusive, you A, don't want to define in that way, mm -hmm. but you also like, there's, there's so much around identifying someone as that way too. When really we're just saying, I'm, I'm a white person, you're a black person, right. you are, you know, have brown, tan skin, whatever it may be. So it's like the, the simplicity of what, you know, kids are just saying mm -hmm. by literally just what they're seeing. But then what, as you've grown to learn, like you're talking about comes with, with that you know like it's it's the innocence of, of a child and the innocence of of just the basics of something gets washed over time right and you know, um it's hard i think it's it's we have if we're going to look at these things and really unpack them we also have to look at like the education system that we all grew up in and what we learned about and what diversity looked like in those spaces i know like what does representation look like right mm -hmm. i know growing up like I was born in the United States. I've lived here my whole life. I've never even been to Iran. Like all I know about the country that my parents come from is what I've learned from them and my extended family. But I never learned about anything about my cultural heritage, like going to school here, right? Yeah. And when I look back and I think about the things that we learned about indigenous people or black people of color, the things that we learned about was like, oh, slavery happened and then it didn't happen. Like, but that's not even the, that's not the story. It's like slavery was abolished, right? But then the prison system came about and that became another form of slavery, right? Yeah. So I think it's important to, as we unpack our own stuff is to look at like the spaces where we have learned about how we move through the world and the way that we think about things and then how we can implement things at home so that our kids have, our kids are better informed. Like that's what it comes down to, right? Our kids are informed from less of a place of bias being anti-racist, like there's no finish line for this. There's no like, oh, I've, I've done the work and now I'm an anti-racist mm -hmm. person. That doesn't exist. Right, right. It's ongoing work, right? It's ongoing work for everybody. But it's about really committing to it and looking at the spaces where you can be more rep representative and inclusive. Um, Definitely. And, and yeah. I, I grew up in an area that was highly diverse. Um, I grew up, so my mom lived in American Canyon, which is literally the next city over is Vallejo, which I think people are more familiar with now, given the recent news. Um, and then, you know, down below is Napa Valley, beautiful wine country. Um, so I was in Napa with my dad and American Canyon, my mom. So I saw two, even though they were 30 minutes apart, very different areas. Yeah. Um, and I considered myself to be, you know, very open and, and not looking at anyone because of skin and had friends of all different cultures and loved it. Um, and when this came up, I, you know, I too realized like there's so much that I just like don't even realize is happening, you know, because it's not right in front of me every single day. And I'm not someone that is dealing with it. And that's where the privilege comes in. And um, we have, you know, diverse toys here with the kids. But I even looked at my books and was like, wow, that's extremely lacking. Like they're reading, you know, all these books with characters and they're, they're all white. And I didn't even like, it didn't even come into my brain and mm -hmm. that's something so simple you know um that just shows them differences 
Um, and there's just, there's so much to do. So kind of, I know we got off a little bit, but kind of going back to um, leaning into your therapy background, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you know a friend is dealing with this and maybe you guys haven't talked about it before because it hasn't come up, but you guys are good friends and you're, you know, on your end, you're like, wow, I need to speak to my friend about this. How do I do that? What do I do? How do I bring this up? Sure. Um, what are kind of some things that you, you know, would suggest around that? So I think immediately, and I can say this in my own, like outside of even my therapy experience, even in my own experience with my black friends and family, like when the, you know, the murder of George Floyd happened and it came and then Breonna Taylor, and then there was Ahmed Arbery's news came up. I definitely felt a pull of reaching out to friends to see if they were doing okay, my black friends and family to see if they were doing okay. And with that came this feeling of, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know the right thing to say. And the reality of the matter is, is that there is no right thing to say, right? There is no, like you said, there's no script. There's no, you know, right set of phrases to put together. It really becomes about, I think a few things. One is about remaining curious. Two is about being very aware about not projecting your own stuff. And three is about offering support and being honest, right? So when I reached out to my friends, my brother-in-law, it was just, I love you. Like, I am here for you. If there's anything that I can do, like I'm committing to doing the work in my own family to make sure that my kids will not be these people. And we're here. And it was just a check-in. I will say, the thing that I want people to be really careful about and aware of, like this is not an opportunity to reach out to any black or brown person that you've ever met in your life and be like, hey, friend from sixth grade that I like hung out with for a year, I'm checking in to make sure you're okay. Like that's not okay. That's not, it it becomes like a, a bigger burden for that person to carry. But if you have people in your life that are affected by this, I, you know, reach out to them, express your concern, express your love, express your support and keep checking in and then keep committing to doing the work. You know, words are just words. If we're not, if there's no action behind the words, then they're kind of meaningless at the end of the day. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important. And I think, you know, we, at least I guess I'll speak for myself, like being raised, I feel like a lot of times we were just being careful, like, you know, like be PC, um, inclusive of everybody that it got to a point where it's like, everybody's equal. And then you avoid talking about the differences. And mm-hmm. um, like Heather said, even today, I'll still like, I want to refer to a black person as an African American, because I was this is a great say, like, thing to talk about the appropriate. Though. So yeah, I, and it's crazy. Like, but it's not Yeah, like, it's, it's not like, I'm 37. I grew up, I remember growing up and learning in school, that Mm-hmm. The, the politically correct way to address a black person is as an African-American person, right? Exactly. So I my whole life thinking this. Same. And when I went to graduate school at the age of t- 10 years ago, I was 27 when I went to graduate school. At one of my, my dearest friends now, Dr. Ranisha Lark, she's a clinical psychologist. She, we were sitting in one of our first classes and she was sitting in front of me and I made a comment and referred to her as an African-American woman. And she turned back in the kindest you know, most loving way and was like, I'm black. I don't identify as African-American. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. noted. And then I reproached her afterwards. We didn't know each other yet. Like it was our first semester of graduate school. And I was like, I would love to just learn about this because I, this is what I've learned. I don't know any different. And she was like, my ancestors come from the South. I don't connect at all with anyone who's ever come from Africa. 
So when I think of my family historically, I think of my family growing up in the South. Like that's what I think of. So I don't identify as African-American because that's not where I'm from. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, to me, that makes sense. I identify as Middle Eastern, but if someone were like, oh, you're Arabic, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm Persian. Like it's two different Mm -hmm. things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that's really important. It's like, we have to unlearn these things. These are the exact things that we're unlearning. Right. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like well, part of that. So we're unlearning, obviously, for ourselves, like us personally, mm-hmm. um, plus us as a couple, you know, my husband and I together, but then also our children. It's like, yes. how do you teach somebody when you're, uh, you're learning yourself? You know, it's like, I'm definitely not an expert in this area. I'm trying to figure it out on my own for my personal understanding. And then how do you teach this to your children? So we'd love to hear kind of, um, you talk about, especially because we have toddlers. Um, mm-hmm. So what are like the, the best ways to talk about the differences and make sure that they're um, being raised as anti-racist? Um, you know, obviously it's no longer um, okay to just say I'm against racism, but like more of like, no, I'm anti-racist. Like mm-hmm. I'm actively going to stand up when I hear things, jokes, whatever it may be. Um, you know, how can we teach our children who are at a young age um, to, um, you know, grow up in a different environment than we did? And this is a really interesting topic for me before you answer Sahar, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I watched my son right now who is, and Aiden is like so beyond what a three-year-old should be speaking. He is like talking like a teenager and, you know, sometimes using words that I don't. (laughs) Good, bad, and indifferent. (laughs) It's like, he's using some of these words. I'm like, I'm sorry, do you understand what you're saying right now? And he's here to say certain things. And so, you know, I, with, I'm so excited. We're talking about the child side of it too, because I want to educate so much on this, but I'm also like, should he be saying, how can I teach him about the word racism and have him saying it appropriately and understanding what it means and using it when he's three. So like, what do we do? You know, like what, yeah, exactly. what do we talk about? Because getting to the, back to the African-American and black conversation, I think sometimes like me and, and maybe people as a community, it's hesitant to say black because we were taught to say African-American to not say black. And so you're like, wait, now, mm-hmm. uh, okay, this is what I'm actually supposed to be doing. I've been doing it wrong in the past. Like, you know, you talked about Brooke on like educating while we're re-educating. And so it's like, I want them to be using the right terms in the right way and speaking about it, you know, appropriately and in an educated way, but he's three. So like, where sure. does, how does that all come together? So I know like I can speak to my own experience with my own kids. Like we, we have worked, I think, and I, I, part of this, I think is because like my brother-in-law is black and I have black nephews. And so it was important for us, like in the kids, like in the things that they were exposed to, that it was inclusive of the way that our family looked. Right. And so, and I think that we do this naturally. Like when we, I remember when I was pregnant with my second child, I looked for a baby doll for my son so that he could like bond with a baby doll. He was whatever, a year old. And all of the baby dolls were these like white blonde haired babies. And I was like, that my kid's not, my my kid now looks like that. Like I didn't know that I was going to give birth to a, the whitest Middle Eastern child that's ever been born, but I did. Um, So I looked and I ended up, I remember I bought this baby doll that the name of the baby doll was like Latino baby boy. And it was like this white looking (laughs) doll with brown eyes. And I was like, well, this will do. I think that at this age, it's important to be very aware of the how what representation looks like in play, in the shows that you're watching, and the music that you listen to, um, both for ourselves and for our kids. 
I think it's honestly less about the language and more about making sure that the topic is not taboo in the house, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. so I think that, yeah, definitely. Like, no, I don't really remember having conversations around race and racism in my home growing up. Um, and I think part of that's largely like growing up with immigrant parents and the stuff that comes with that. But I do know like in our house, like we don't use terms like racism per se. We do a little bit with my five-year-old now that he has questions about things that are going on. But we make sure that they're, the things that they play with are as inclusive as we can have them be, right? And this doesn't mean that you have to go out and buy toys that are 50, 60, $100. Like I shop at the dollar bin at Target and we found like little wooden toys that have that are rep representative. They have kids that are able-bodied and kids that are not able-bodied. They have, mm -hmm. you know, kids that are black and brown and representative of different races and different ethnicities and different ways that people move through the world. And so I think when we talk about inclusivity, we have to look at it as a whole. Like my now five-year-old, when he was a little kid, was obsessed with people in wheelchairs. Like he was fascinated by it. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable by that. And that's my stuff. That's not his stuff. I should have very easily been like, that person's in a wheelchair. Let's talk about why people are in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think a lot of it becomes about our own awareness of what's coming up for us and then where the root of that, like those feelings of guilt or shame or resistance come from. Um, and well, then, yeah, that's a great point. Mirrors to us. I mean, it's so amazing how they just reflect so much on mm -hmm. who we are as people and where we have to do our work. <clears throat> totally. And like I, one of um, like my son, so, you know, obviously, just like you said, they call it like what they, as they see it. And um, for a while, anytime my son would see a Latino man, he'd be like, oh, there's the gardener. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, please don't say this in public. Like, you know, I was embarrassed of it. And he did it multiple times. He stopped it now. But I was like, what do I do? Like, I don't know how that and he, at that time, he was two. I'm like, right. I have a conversation about, you know, so this is a beautiful like, okay, opportunity to be like, yeah, that's our gardener and introduce him to the gardener. This is our gardener. Ask him what his name is and like introduce him and say, yeah, you know, like, and then you can replace that, like association with a name. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a right? person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that's kids are really curious and we have a lot to learn from their curiosity, right? Instead of like, I think totally. as adults, we're much more inclined to put people in boxes because it feels comfortable for us. Whereas kids are just curious and they want to know, they mm -hmm. want to know things and they want to learn about people. And so a lot of that is like, as adults, it's our, as, as parents, it's our responsibility to provide them with that information. And sometimes that information feels uncomfortable for us because it's a moment of growth for us too and growth is uncomfortable yeah right yeah it's so true they oh, just they like are just curious stuff. and want to learn and just understand and like you know Vaughn's favorite thing is what's that what's that mm -hmm. what's that what's that mm -hmm. you know and I'm just answering all day like it's a rock it's a cookie it's a door I don't know you tell me you know and just kind of filling the answer so um that's a good that's a good lesson for parents just to like literally say what it is and you know yeah or ask the context. kid to explain it to you like in in a sense of like if Vaughn's yeah. asking like what's this what's that like what you tell me about that what do you see yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely um and just one quick thing I know you said like um bringing diversity into things at home my son actually got gifted from my aunt who is a um she was a kindergarten teacher for a long time and mm -hmm. now she's I think sixth grade 
um, sent these amazing, and they were like $5 on Amazon, um, human like kind of cutouts mm-hmm. in paper and they're all different colors and he can just make outfits on them and he gets to pick who he wants to color and, and play with and just exposing him, you know, something so simple is just like bringing a different piece of like what you're going to make art with, yeah. um, you know, is really great. And so, um, there's, I know there's a lot of those different things, um, around just even just on Amazon and stuff too, like you said, mm-hmm. you don't have to go spend a hundred dollars to get the brand new American doll um, right. and make sure, you know, everything's fine. Cause they've got everything under the sun available, um, you know, and just be <laughs> able to, to bring things in. And I like the idea too, of, of, of really being all inclusive as a whole. We got this book called, um, the rainbow friends. I'll try and find it and share it on social. Um, but it talks too about disabilities mm-hmm. and the kid being deaf and blind and skin color and, and all this stuff, which is really great. Um, just to be able to, and he takes it to bed all the time. He loves it. It's like one of his favorite books now. And same thing, like, kind of like, what's that? Like the wheelchair, like, what is that? You know, yeah. explaining through those things. So that's been a good conversation starter for us too, is that book. I think that we so often like want to jump to like, everybody is the same and everybody is equal and every, you know, whatever. And that's just not, true it's not you know what I mean it's just not it's it would be I I, a lot of conversations that I've had with people who are the most well-intentioned and well-meaning have started off by people saying things people in my own personal life saying things like uh, I don't see color or you know those kinds of things which is I understand the intent behind it and it's just not true unless you have a vision impairment that truly allows you to not see color right Mm -hmm. so I can't, like, I look at my son who is, my youngest son who's super white next to my nephew and be like, I don't see the difference between the way that these two boys look. Like, they look different. Mm -hmm. That's okay. We should see our differences and we should acknowledge them and we should talk about them, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's so true because I've even caught myself saying that. And I think the sentiment, you know, obviously behind it is like, I don't judge on color. Like, that's why I don't see it. It doesn't, it doesn't make a a definition of someone, you know, in a negative way, because I'm not letting that be part of it, but we do, we all see color and that's the beauty of it is everything's different. And I mean, oh my gosh, like I just, people, I like wish I had more ethnicity coming out of me because I feel like my, I'm, you know, I'm so, everyone's just so beautiful with the differences, you know, and it's just like, if we didn't see that, what would our world be? Yeah. But it definitely, I think, you know, both of us obviously work in marketing. So we've had to have these conversations with brands too. And um, it has definitely made me reflect and look back. And like, although I would always say that I, you know, am not a racist, I look back and like work that I've done is like um, reaching out to influencers and I'm reaching out to people that look like me and Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it intentionally, but it's like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've done some of these programs and I do not have one diverse person in this, in, in this group of people that could have totally been elevated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you subconsciously do these things until you take a minute to step back and be like, oh, wow, this is how I've been living my life and not intentionally by any means, but you're like, wow, this is so ingrained in our society and the way that we've been educated and the way the communities we've grown up in and all that, um, it definitely is eye opening and like almost shocking to be like, Oh my gosh, like really, (laughs) you know? And this is the thing, like these conversations have been happening, happening in communities of color with people of color for a long time. And it's like, I think Mm -hmm. now has been in a sense amplified for white people where it's like, Oh, I didn't even realize that I was doing this. And I now see that that's problematic. That's good. That's growth. That's exactly what should be happening right now. Right. And so I think that we as a society, we're off, we're conditioned to 
look at like white is good or the best or better and whether or not we uh we think that we embrace that that's the messaging that we're getting it's the in my cultural mm -hmm. diversity class that i teach i have an assignment that i give them that it, it's like an in-class assignment and i literally just have them whip out their so that my students whip out their phones and scroll through their contact list their social media uh like their youtube what are you consuming who are you around who you know what music are you listening to and then what does diversity look like in those spaces every single time the mm -hmm. answer almost every time i teach this class the answer is oh i watch Grey's anatomy and they have a diverse cast and that's it <laughs> that's it and like bless shonda rhimes she's doing the lord's work you know what i mean but outside of her it's like every other show that has that represents diversity is always through stereotyping Here's the Middle Eastern person, they're a terrorist. Here's like the black man, he's a gang member, he's, you know, angry, he's a whatever. It falls into these negative stereotypes that further perpetuate stigma. And the yeah. same goes for kids shows, you know what I mean? Like there's great show, Sesame Street's a great show that forever has been representative and has really been doing the work, but they have a ton of funding around that to do that, right? But the other stuff that my kids watch, sometimes I have to really look and say like, do, can you, can I see myself in this? And can you see yourself in this? And that's really important. Representation is really, really important. Like it's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, um, we've did a post on this recently about like, it can, um, and this conversation is great for us, but it can be difficult when you're in like a, a primarily affluent community to expose your kids to some of these things, you know? Yeah. So like what are some of the things you can do to expose your kids to diversity? of all races and you know obviously you can read books you can do all that but to really experience that you have to go outside of your comfort zone of the bubbles we may be growing up in mm -hmm. um, to really experience difference too beyond um, the color of our skin as well. Yeah I think we're really fortunate to live in Southern California in Orange County you know especially because there is a lot of opportunity to you know be in spaces that feel mm -hmm. diverse. So there is, I think there is part of it that's like, there's a lot of this opportunity. And then there's another part of it. There are other people who will say like white people shouldn't be coming into these spaces that are safe spaces for people of color. So I think that there is a balance between that you can find. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that like, I mean, we take our kids before pre-COVID, we would take our kids to like festivals in Santa Ana, like Dia de los Muertos mm -hmm. and that and show them and they would experience it. And they had just seen Coco. So it was like a big thing for them. And you know, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity. You don't have to, you can go to diverse restaurants. You can listen to diverse music. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be this. Travel. Like, yeah, it really doesn't. And yeah. It can be very simple. It, it can be, it can be very simple. I think there's a lot of power in having uh, social circle, social circles be diverse. And like, have, mm -hmm. like I think I, I'm really proud of the people that we're friends with and like there's a lot of representation in our like friend group and our kids have a really diverse group of friends and that's what something that was really important our kids go to schools that are really diverse and so those were all things that were important to us but i think they were important to us because i remember being like the kid in school in orange county that wasn't persian enough to hang out with the persian kids but wasn't white enough to hang out with the white kids and i never felt like i had a space that felt like mine you know what i mean and so we wanted to make mm -hmm. sure that our kids had diversity and that was something really normalized for them. I don't want them to grow up thinking that they're not white enough and because they're not white enough that they're not good, you know? Yeah, yes. definitely. <clears throat> well, and speaking of um, kind of leading into our next question with um, you and growing up and kind of not feeling like you ever had your place, you shared a story 
recently on your Instagram that really touched me and um, made me just really think through just even saying people's names and mm -hmm. acknowledging people. And I like wanted to cry when you shared that you change the way you pronounce your name so that it's easier for people. Mm -hmm. um, it made me feel sad that I, I need to learn how to pronounce your name <laughs> and I've known you and that I'm, I'm saying it in a way that, you know, can subconsciously remind you of something that is painful and thinking about how many people I've met and I've been like, wait, how do you say that? And I'm always, I love learning names and trying to, to I know it's like a culture thing and, and saying things in different ways and enunciations and things like that or pronunciations, but um, it makes me think of all the times when I felt like, wow, that's, that's really hard to say, but it's beautiful or whatever it might be. So I'd love for you to share this story with our yeah. listeners um, and, and how you kind of, you know, talk to your kids about that too. So I think it's really amazing. Yeah. So my, I go by Sahar. I've always gone by Sahar in, in white circles, I guess, outside of my family or Middle Eastern people. But my, my given name, the way that my name is, how was intended to be said is Sahar. And that is hard for people who don't speak Farsi or other languages to say because of the A sound, I think. And so it wasn't something that I had really considered. And my, so I also want to preface this with almost every member of my family, like my cousins, my sister, everyone, our names are said differently in Farsi than the way that they are said in English. And so there was, there were moments in our childhoods where we were all like, we're going to pick American names for ourselves because that's easier. And so these were conversations that were ongoing, like in, in our lives. Um, but it wasn't something that I really had considered the impact of until I had kids. And then my, when my oldest son was around like one or one, I think, and he started figuring out people's names, it was really, really important to me for him to learn how to say my name correctly. And I, I couldn't like pinpoint why that was, but I think what it really comes down to is that I don't mind being called Sahar. I would be weird, right? If, for me, it would feel weird to be like, oh, I want everyone to call me Sahar and then just listen to people butcher my name all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think what it really brought up is that for, I mean, I'm 37 and for the everything, every part of my life that I remember uh, up until recently, like the times when my name has been mispronounced or said differently, there have been plenty of times where I just haven't said anything because probably because I had internalized that it wasn't important enough. And that feels like sad because it's my name, right? And I should be able to say like, nope, that's not how you say it. This is how you say it. And say it, you should say it the way that I'm telling you to say it, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot that comes with that. My kids intentionally have very simple names that are easy for both American people, like white people to say and Persian people to say, because I didn't want them to have the same experience. My kids' names are James and Sam. And my Persian family that doesn't speak English very well, they can say that easily. And my friends that are not Persian and family and stuff that are not Persian can also say that very easily. And that was intentional. Um, I think that there is a really big importance in identity and naming. And as we are navigating these spaces to be more inclusive and diverse, we also have to like, remain sitting in those spaces of curiosity and allowing people to let us know how they identify and what they want to be called. Mm -hmm. um, I remember mm -hmm. Irvine has a really large Asian population and it was very common when I was in school for my friends that were Asian to say, this is my given name, but I go by this anglicized name, right? Mm -hmm. um, I go by Sarah. 
And now reflecting back, I, I wonder for a lot of those people that I knew back then, like what that was like for them to have these like two spaces that they navigated, these two different names that they were called and essentially maybe two different identities that they leaned into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I've had plenty of times when I've said my name and people have been like, that's too hard. I'm just going to call you this instead. And I've said nothing, mm. you know? Um, and now I don't. I mean, now I'm like <laughs> a little bit more. I've heard I've, I've been called Sarah, Summer, Sahar, Sahara. Like, I mean, you, any S name that's not my name, I've been called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, the moments that stick out are the when people just outright reject it. And it's like, no, that's too hard to say. I'm yeah. not going to say that. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. You're like, well, it's my name. So. Yeah. And, and don't call me. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> don't ask for anything from me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I think that, that, I mean, that's obviously a whole other like topic um, as well. But a lot of that goes around like people um, trying to fit into a primarily dominant white um, society. And like, you know, I know a, a bunch of friends who are Latino but don't know how to speak Spanish because their parents like didn't want them to. Yes. Um, they wanted them to primarily speak English to be able to fit in at schools better and all that. And, you know, it's all obviously a huge, a, a whole different topic we could go into. But that's, I mean, for your name as well, you know, like for yeah. your identity, um, it's like minimize um, your culture and your background so you can fit in in a predominantly white society, which is awful. Yeah, I mean, inclusivity should not be people of color fitting into a white world. That's not what right. inclusivity should look like, right? But that is what inclusivity until very recently has looked like for way too many people. Um, mm -hmm. Don't stir the pot, keep your mouth shut, fix your name, fix the way you look, be more white. And we should not, we should not be raising our kids to fit into yeah. that world. And we should be embracing our differences and celebrating them and educating on being different is okay, and and it, it shouldn't be anything other than okay. Um, so yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, and totally. So, can you share with us um, a little bit about how you're helping couples navigate like racism um, in your practice? So, if there's you know two couples that may have different views on how to educate your children, um, what are some of the conversations that you're having to um, help it be more of a, uh, I guess, united front or um, not as much of a sticking issue with couples? Like how can they work together um, to raise their kids in um, like an anti-racist house? So I will say I, I have the privilege of working with couples who are committed to doing like work around anti-racism. And that's probably because I'm pretty vocal and open about where I stand. So the couple that is mm -hmm. uh, not, does not lean in that direction is probably not going to seek out my, <laughs> my services. That being said, <laughs> I do think that this, the last couple of weeks specifically for a lot of people has been incredibly eye-opening. Um, people who consider themselves like, for lack of a better, just very woke and very committed to the cause and very not racist are now all of a sudden looking at the way that the, the ways that the systems of oppression have benefited them and maybe the spaces where they could have done better. And that is a big shock to a lot of people where it's like, I thought I was doing the right thing for a long time. And I now, I now realize that I maybe wasn't doing enough or really wasn't doing anything right. other than just being not racist. Um, and so a lot of the work has been around identifying people's own experiences um, 
and finding the like the root of that it, it, it remains in curiosity right and so if someone is really fighting against like bringing inclusivity into the home it's about exploring why why does it feel so scary or so why is there such a big feeling of rejection towards representing something that is other in your home mm. right and where does that come from because that's what it comes down to right it's not when, when feelings of anger and stuff come up, it's not really about the anger, it's about what's underneath the anger. So what is the fear around that? Are, are you afraid of you know, your kids having friends that don't look like them? Or are you afraid that you're not gonna be able to talk to them about things? You know, are you afraid that in saying that I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, sometimes it's the admittance that I don't wanna have these things because maybe I am a little bit racist. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that's a scary thing. We're, this is going to be polarizing, but like, we're all a little bit racist. Like, that's the reality of it. As much as we all want to say, I'm a like, you know, I've said and done things that I would never do now, but I've done them in the past. And there's a lot of shame and, you know, stuff around that, but we are all a little bit racist. And so we have to dismantle those systems within ourselves. And so I think for a lot of people that work is in like admitting that and saying like, I've said and done and thought things that are not racially sensitive. Um, and we, we see this a lot, I think, I've seen this a lot in my work towards Black people and Latino people specifically. Um, I've experienced it on my end, like I've experienced a lot of racism being Middle Eastern on my end, and I've experienced a lot of racism being not, I'm not married to a Middle Eastern man, and I've experienced a lot of racism in that mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is like, the, it's the individual work, you know? Um, I will say the couples that I work with, they're pretty much on the same page. The hard work really comes in and that like I have to identify my own stuff in order to be able to move forward with the stuff like with the experience as a couple and then the experience as a family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's where we all have to start is with ourselves and mm -hmm. then moving in how does this work into a relationship, our children, our families, mm -hmm. talking to our parents getting on the same page because our families are around our parents. How do we all talk in the same room? Like what, how are we acting? You know, there's, there's yeah. so many layers to this. And um, what I keep hearing with everything that you've said is, is the curiosity and almost like, you know, in therapy that I've done, they talk about going back to your childlike self, sure. you know, like what did your childlike self, you know, where was the hurt? What do they miss? How do they feel? Yeah. And I feel like in a way it, we have to approach this topic as that innocent child mm -hmm. and how would we kind of be you know and, and watching our children let them teach us of like just that innocent side of it and and being able to like have those conversations in such a open genuine way because they don't have any of those prejudices yet like mm -hmm. they're going to learn them just like we did and yeah. if we're you know in a way I mean I know we have to guide the conversation but kind of like like you said letting them lead the conversation ask the questions and like answering in certain ways and knowing like keeping that front of mind, you know, it, they'll teach us a lot. It's a collaborative effort for sure. You know, yeah. and I think when you bring extended family into it, it gets a little bit trickier. Um, but that's where I think it is really important to start with the self and then move into the couple and then move into like what your experience with your kids and then move into the extended family. Right. And that's where boundaries can come in. You know, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't have like that one family member that's racist, that's openly racist, who says really offensive stuff where you're kind of, you know, for some of us, it's just like an eye roll at Thanksgiving, like, oh, here goes like uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so for your grandma or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not really in a place anymore to do that, 
to just turn that blind eye. Mm -hmm. And so that's where boundaries and stuff come in. And you can really consider like, what am I going to expose myself, my, you know, my partner, my kids to, and what am I not going to expose? You know, I've definitely cut out people that were close in my life at one time because of things like this, because of their thoughts and opinions and um, beliefs around inclusivity and diversity. That's, you know, it was what was best for my family. I also think that I can say personally for myself, I spent a large portion of my 20s being very angry about things and being very, coming from a place of anger uh, when having conversations around diversity, inclusion, race, you know, all that stuff. And that doesn't work either. Like being the angry person that's like, I'm just going to yell so loud until someone hears me doesn't work. So mm -hmm. now I lean into curiosity. Help me understand why you think in that way. Help mm -hmm. me understand why that makes sense to you. I don't really understand how one human life could be more important than another human life. Can you help me understand that? You know, and sometimes it's, it needs to be brought into that space in order for the person that you're talking to, to also take a step back and say, well, I don't know that I can argue that one human life is more valuable than another human life, you know? And if they can, then maybe that's not something you should have in your life. <laughs> yeah. Definitely yeah. not. <laughs> I've heard you say that, like when we've done, uh, you know, our last podcast, when we had our in-person workshop, like I've, I've heard you say that. And I think that's so helpful in like many situations where there's tension is mm -hmm. because you may be hearing it one way um, and that's maybe not the intention of what's being said. So putting it back on that person to explain, um, I think really deconstructs what the root of the issue may be um, yeah. versus making assumptions and then getting upset. I mean, you know, heat of the moment, everything mm -hmm. <laughs> goes out the window. Yeah. Um, but I love that, like putting back and questioning and being an inquiry. And um, I think sometimes we feel uncomfortable to ask questions because it puts somebody on the spot or, you know. Um, so I think that's a really, really great way and the easy way that you can, you can spark these conversations and to maybe find um, a common ground. Yeah. And what if or maybe not, like maybe you model. don't find maybe a common not, ground. Yeah. But that's a beautiful thing to model for our kids. You know what I mean? That's a beautiful mm -hmm. way to communicate effectively and in a healthy way, like for our kids to see, oh, just because I disagree with somebody doesn't mean that I have to argue with them. Right, right. You know? Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. So I know our time is nearing, but um, before we... <laughs> we can talk all day. <laughs> but, yeah, I was like, I know this could be and, and should be a three-hour podcast. Um, but I want to just share... I have like a neck ache because I'm so close to the computer. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, tell me more. I know. I'm like shifting because I still have a sprained tailbone from delivery. So I'm like, okay. Oh my gosh. Like, Oh my gosh. Who knew you get sprained tailbones in delivery, by the way, but you do. If kids shoot out too fast, apparently. And they don't heal. It's awesome. Um, but I want to talk about, like Brooks said in the beginning, you've been so great about sharing information and amplifying voices that matter. Um, and just, you're such a resource. So um, we'll share in a second where people can find you personally, but I'd love to hear and share with our listeners a few resources that you felt have been really helpful um, and continuing to educate yourself. Yeah, so I, um, I'll i share some spaces on Instagram, I guess, that you guys can look at and find, go through their resources. But I love The Conscious Kid. Uh, that's mm. been a big resource for us for a really long time. We are members of their Patreon, so it feels nice to be able to support uh, an organization that is just, they put out so much information for free on Instagram. 
that is a great way to invite diversity and inclusive inclusivity into your kids' lives. Um, but also like I've learned so much. I've definitely like cited them in lectures that I do at the graduate level. <laughs> so they're great. Um, Britt Hawthorne on Instagram is, she's a Montessori educator and is a black woman and is a beautiful marriage between diversity and like education and things to do at home with your kids. So I love her account. Um, Dr. Akila Kade is like a goddess. She, <laughs> I could read her content all day. She is a diversity and inclusion, she's a diversity and inclusion firm in the Bay Area. And she does, uh, I actually would recommend this to anybody. She does workshops like multiple times a month around power and privilege. Um, she does a Q&A for white women exclusively or non-black people, non-people of color, where they can go and talk to her and ask questions about anything that's going on. Um, so I recommend her. Her handle is at change today, like cadet, but today she is incredible. And then Rachel Cargill, who is everything and provides a lot of information on things like microaggressions, which I think are really important to learn about um, why things like certain things that we say or do can be problematic, even if the intention isn't it being problematic. One of the, my favorite things that she does is she'll, <laughs> she'll go into her comments on Instagram and she'll screenshot like someone's comment. And then she'll literally go through, like you take notes in college and highlight and be like, these are the reasons why this comment is problematic. I've seen those. And yeah, she's amazing. Like Oh, there they go again, like circling yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. And but she gives like, like peer reviewed so research helpful. on right. why it's wrong. Yeah, and totally. I'm like, wow. Especially because if it's the intention is not bad behind it, something any of us could say, and then she deconstructs and you're like, oh, I would have never known that. Uh-huh, right. So I think it's, I mean, while it's, I, I get enjoyment out of it because I think it's really funny. <laughs> um, it's also incredibly informative, right? Mm -hmm. Because certain things, like I read certain things at first and been like, huh, I wonder why that's a problem. It seems like a genuine question. Yeah. And then I'll read through and I'll be like, oh, right. You know, this yeah. is why this is an issue. So I love what she's doing. She also has the Loveland Foundation, um, which is raising money for therapy for Black women, which is so important because um, there's such a health disparity there. And yeah, yeah so we so. actually, um, Clover, my um, conscious creative agency, that's the foundation we chose to donate to um, on an ongoing basis. Oh, and amazing. love what they're doing. They are yeah. like amazing work. Yeah. They're so incredible. She has a lot of projects. She has the great unlearn and I'm obviously a huge fan, but yeah. You know, I think that we are in a space right now where there is so much content being created by Black creators, Black activists um, that is out there for free, you know? And so if you're in a space where you can't financially support, you can literally sign on to Instagram or YouTube or whatever and find these spaces to learn more. It's at our fingertips. And so mm -hmm. I encourage anyone to do that. Um, Erica Chidi is another, she's a, a, a black birth worker. She's doing amazing work. I mean, I could, the list goes on and on. <laughs> I know there's so, and so many. Yeah. Equally as important. Where can people find you? Oh, I'm at Sahar Martinez MFT across, I mean, I'm really only active on Instagram, but. Yes, and go follow her because she shares so much. Yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing information on the daily. Um, well, thank you for coming on here um, and having some very honest and important conversation around, um, you know, anti-racism. It's uh, 
it's like you said, it, there's the work's never going to be done. The conversation should never end. But um, I think these are some good starting points and um, hopefully tools to help people dig into their work. Thank you guys for having me. This was so fun. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks next time we have you, she's going to be Dr. Saha. <laughs> oh, shoot. 2021, here we 2021. come. Yeah, 2021, not right now. But you should be a doctor. Right. Honorary. Honorary MD. Full space doctorate. Yes. <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> thanks, guys. So, well, thank, thank you. you again. And for everyone else, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Thank you for joining A Space for Soul. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We'll, we'll love, love you forever. For more information on today's topics, the notes from this episode can be found on our website, soulspace.co forward slash podcast. That's soulspace, S-O-L-S-P-A-C-E dot co forward slash podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at soulspace.co. Catch us next week at the same place, same time. And as always, feel free to tell a friend. Toodles. Toodles.